You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I suggest to you, Abraham did not fully understand like we do. He didn't have the same perspective. Nobody saw the wisdom of the cross. Do you understand that? Nobody saw it. Those apostles were perplexed, disillusioned. And when Jesus went to the cross, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. Nobody saw a suffering Messiah, even though the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, prophesied a suffering Messiah. But nobody really got it. Sometimes we just don't understand. As believers and followers of Christ in this modern age, it can be far too easy for us to take the Bible for granted. It's all too often that we forget that the early church didn't have access to the Old Testament, let alone the whole collection of letters that would become the New Testament. In today's message, Pastor Danny discusses the limitations that many of the saints of old faced. In his study, you'll learn how Abraham, all the way up to the apostles, had a limited understanding of the ministry of Christ and his call. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of The Living Word. any genuine faith to follow the call of God, there's something to leave behind. There's someone usually to leave behind. Relationships that you can't hang on to if you're going to follow the call of God in life. But second, Abraham's faith was a faith to live, to live, and specifically to live now in the world, in the world that he was born into, as you and I have been born into this world. But now because He's followed the call of God now to live in the world and no longer be of the world. This world is no longer home. No longer home. Looking for something beyond this life, something beyond this world. The city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. Lived like an alien and a stranger in a foreign country. Let me read you what Paul writes on this point. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, you got to be careful to understand uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying through the pen of Paul, because you take it just on surface, then you leave here and you misunderstand, because listen what he says, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, verse 29. Now, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. You misunderstand that. You leave here today (laughs) you make some real mistakes in your marriage. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. The idea is you're not getting your roots too deep in this life. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them for this world in its present form is passing away. And we're just passing through. Not our home anymore. Not our home. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful this world is not my home because there's a lot of things in this life I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy, and I can't wait 
to live where God dwells. A city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. I can't wait for my heavenly home. Oh, my goodness. Faith to leave, faith to live in this world but not be of this world. And then third, faith to lean, to lean. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Let me read a scripture. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. If I was God, I would not do things the way he does them. I, I, there are some things that God, some things in the ways of God that I just, I'm, I'm not in agreement with. <laughs> I mean, if I was doing it, I'd, I'd do it differently. Good thing I'm not God. I mean, so many verses, so many verses you're reading, it just doesn't make any sense. Make, doesn't make any sense to me. And it wouldn't to you. Oh, uh, tons of verses. Let me just give you a sampling. All right. Um, Exodus 14, after God delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, here they are, delivered now, on their way to the promised land. And not long after, Pharaoh changes his mind once again, musters his army. Uh, they go chasing after the Israelites. The Israelites see this vast Egyptian army coming at them. And uh, here you are. You got your kids. You got your family. And here this Egyptian army is bearing down on you. And here's what God says to them through Moses. Here's what God says. Be still. Right. I got my wife. I got my kids there. And, a, and an army is bearing down on us. And you want me to just stay here? You want me to just stand here? Right. No, no, no. Everything in my mind, when that army is coming, I'm saying, grab the wife, grab the kids. Let's run. Let's get out of here. Let's run. That's what my thinking is like. And that's natural. That's natural. But God's supernatural. And he doesn't think the way we think. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so higher my thoughts above yours. I don't think like you think. Stand still, and I'll fight for you. That's what he says to him. Stand still, and I'll fight for you. Elijah, remember the story? Here's a widow of Zarephath, and God speaks to Elijah and says, I got a widow, and she's going to provide your needs. A widow. He goes to Zarephath. There's the widow. She's gathering some sticks because she's destitute. She's like a stick herself. You can just imagine. She's, she's going to die. She's dying. She's got one child. And she says, uh, as Elijah questions her, I'm going home with these sticks. I'm going to make the last meal of me and my son. We're going to die. And here's what God says to her through Elijah. Here's the word of the Lord for this widow and her child. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first... Make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. Bring it to me and then make something for yourself and for your son. You tell me that makes sense. You, you tell me you're the widow and you can get that compute in your brain. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> Don't you love the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000? Don't you love those stories? And, uh, here they got a couple of fish and just a little bit of bread. And on both occasions, Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And you're one of the disciples and you're, you're thinking, that's crazy, man. And then he says, tell them to sit down in groups, get together. We're going to have a meal. That makes absolutely no sense. Abraham, go back to the story with me, the book of Genesis. Come on. We spend the rest of our time here. Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. 75 years old, verse 4, Abraham, Abram. Abram means 
exalted father. God would later change his name after they finally do have a child, a miracle child. God changes his name to Abraham. Just before they have the child, it means father of many. So here, Abram, exalted father. Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai. I'm just going to call her Sarah. She gets her name changed later, too. His wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and uh, the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord there who had appeared to him. And so now he's become a worshiper of God instead of a worshiper of idols. And he's building altars now. And you find he does this again and again. Verses 8 and 9, he moves on and then he pitches his tent and he builds an altar to the Lord. And then chapter 13, God blesses Abraham materially. God blesses Lot, his nephew, materially. The herdsmen uh, of Lot are quarreling with Abraham's herdsmen because they have so many livestock to feed. And Abraham says to his nephew, hey, we're brothers. It's not right for us to quarrel. So you choose which way you want to go. And whichever way you go, I'll go the opposite direction. Let's settle this thing. Let's have peace. So Lot looked up. And saw the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the garden of the Lord. And Lot looked and he chose the most fertile direction, humanly speaking. And so Abraham, showing that he's a man learning to walk by faith, he says, okay, you go that way. And that's the, the way you would normally choose. Anybody would, but I'm going to just walk by faith. I'll go the opposite direction. Then God speaks to him. Verse 14, chapter 13. Lord said to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north, south, east, and west. That includes the direction that Lot went. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. So Abraham moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where again, he built an altar to the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And God's given him tremendous promises. I mean, he's going to have descendants that you can't even count like the dust on the earth, like the stars in the sky, God will say to him. I mean, tremendous promises. Then you get to chapter 14 and chapter 14 um, some enemy kings take captive Lot. Abraham goes out and God gives him the victory. They rescue Lot, bring him back. And on the way back, after winning the victory, this mysterious figure named Melchizedek meets Abraham. And you see that in chapter 14, verse 18. Melchizedek is Christ in the Old Testament before he became the man Jesus. Melchizedek, this king of Salem, king of righteousness, king of peace and king of righteousness, without beginning of days or end of life, he's a priest forever. It's Christ. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gives him a tenth of all the victory, honors God with the wealth. And then the king of Sodom, and we know who the king of Sodom is. He's a contrast to the Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace. King of Sodom is king of this world. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Why? Because Satan wants the people. He wants you. And he'll give you the goods of this life. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, 
I raise my hand to the Lord God, most high creator of heaven and earth, have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing from you. You are not going to lure me into getting my roots in this world, in this life, and what it has to offer. I'm headed to a better place. That's what he's saying. But listen to me, and please pay attention. As spiritually mature as Abram has become, he's still just like you and me. He's challenged. He's human. And you get to chapter 15, and look how it opens. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. God doesn't say, don't be afraid if you're not afraid. He doesn't, he doesn't waste words. What's Abram afraid of? Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, the servant in his household. And Abram said, you've given me no children. What he's saying is, years have passed, you promised, and you haven't come through. What's going on? So a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. You can imagine, he's in the middle of nowhere. There are no city lights. There's nothing to obstruct the stars. And you can imagine if you've been on a night like that, him looking up and the stars so numerous and bright. And God says, your descendants. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. What faith. He also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember your salvation experience? To give you this land, to take possession of it. But again, despite this wonderful revelation and even Abraham responding in faith, he believed God, he's still human. Look at verse 8. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know? How can I know that I'll gain possession of it? He's human. Let me summarize the rest of that chapter. God puts Abram into a deep sleep. And then God prepares a sacrifice to ratify the covenant and his promise that he made to Abram. And God walks in between the pieces of the cut sacrifice while Abram is in a deep sleep and God ratifies the covenant. The message of that is, this is not dependent on Abraham. This is dependent on God. It's dependent on God's promise. Despite Abram's faith or lack of it, uh, despite Abraham's imperfection, it's dependent on God. And then you get to chapter 16, and it's a bump in the road. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This is not good advice. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. A bump in the road trying to help God out, trying to fulfill God's will by the power of the flesh. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. 
Then you get to chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, after Hagar, 13 years have passed. And the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I'll confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I'll establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Wow. He's 99 years old when God says this to him. Verse 15, same chapter. God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and surely give you a son by her. I'll bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And here's what Abraham does. Verse 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed. He laughed. <laughs> he laughed. But it wasn't a mocking laugh. It wasn't a scornful laugh. It was a laugh of faith. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. And God said, I'll bless Ishmael, but let's get back to my promise. Let's get back to my promise. And then you get to chapter 21. Verse 1, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name, I love this, Isaac. To the son Sarah bore him. You know what Isaac means? It means laughter. He named him laughter. <laughs> because he was so overjoyed and just couldn't believe. Even though he believed. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've borne him a son in his old age? Again, pay attention, please. Years have passed since Abraham had followed the call of God. Uh, he and his wife, they made some mistakes. And we didn't read all the mistakes. They made a real mistake with Hagar. Uh, they made uh, two mistakes going down to Egypt and when there was a famine. They made some mistakes, but now... God had forgiven their mistakes. That's all in the past. They had been challenged. They had been perplexed. They had gone through difficulties. And now, now, basically their ship had come in. They are doing better than ever. They have Isaac. Uh, laughter has filled their household. Isaac is growing up now. He's become a young man. And you could not find a family more full of God and full of life. And at that point in life, like a clap of thunder from a clear, cloudless blue sky, the ultimate test came. Ultimate test. And that's chapter 22. 
Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Mount Moriah is the region of Mount Calvary. It's the same geographical location. You might know the story. You read the chapter and Abraham gets things ready. He takes his son now, who's a young man now, Isaac, and they head out up to the mountain, Mount Moriah. They get there, arrange the wood on the altar, and then Isaac asked his dad, Father, we have the wood. We have things prepared. Where is the sacrifice? And can you imagine, can you imagine as a father saying to your son, son, I know you don't understand. I don't really understand completely. You're the sacrifice. You're the sacrifice. His dad's an old man. Isaac is a young man. He could have bolted. He could have taken dad down, but he didn't. Isaac, when he hears the father say, you're the sacrifice, this is God's will. Isaac willingly gets on that sacrifice, on that altar. Abraham raises the knife, and just as he's about to sacrifice his own son, heaven speaks, and God says, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham gladly stopped and responded. And God commends him for his faith. And then he says, now look. And over in the thicket caught is a ram. And God directs him, take the ram. That's the sacrifice. Now I know. Look, I know what the verse we read means. I know. I'm going to read it one more time. I know what it means. I know what Hebrews 11 verse 19 means. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. I know what that means. Because I've got the New Testament. I know what that means because I know that the story, the real life story of Abraham and his son Isaac is is but a figure, a picture. It's a painting, if you will, of the father and his one and only son whom he loves and willing to take that son up on Mount Calvary and sacrifice him for you and for me and for the sins of the world. I know what that means, but I suggest to you, Abraham did not fully understand like we do. He didn't have the same perspective. Nobody saw the wisdom of the cross. Do you understand that? Nobody saw it. Those apostles were perplexed, disillusioned. And when Jesus went to the cross, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. Nobody saw a suffering Messiah, even though the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, prophesied a suffering Messiah. But nobody really got it. Sometimes we just don't understand. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2 It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Here's the deal, and we're going to close, but listen. Ultimately, ultimately, all of our hopes as believers are realized only in the life to come. You understand that? If only in this life we have hope, we are to be pitied above all men because this life throws some things at you that you just go i i can't wait for the city with foundations whose builder and maker is god i can't wait until faith becomes sight by faith all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose even though i don't understand sometimes like abraham didn't understand but by faith. 
We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience. Pastor Danny will continue his study in the book of Hebrews next time, so we hope you'll join us again. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider partnering with us as we continue to share the hope of salvation with the world. Would you join us in praying for the listeners of The Living Word? Pray that God would touch each person with His love and open their hearts to the truth of His Word. Please pray for us also. We want to continue following God's plan for this program no matter where He asks us to go. We know the power of prayer, and we appreciate you doing this for us. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to The Living Word? This program is professionally produced to provide the best quality messages possible so as not to distract from the message of the Bible. That does incur some costs, however, so if you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under Forms. Any and all amounts are greatly appreciated and will be used to share the good news of Jesus' love for the world. Thank you for praying about this. That website once more is ccfstpete.church. With that, we've come to an end of our time with you today. We pray that God continues to bless you as you study His Word and open your heart to His unending love and grace. Thanks again for tuning in today to The Living Word.